Welcome to Dire Desires, life lessons from classic erotic thrillers. I'm Molly Weisenberg. I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Abby Circotella. This episode's movie is nine and a half weeks, and I want to start off with a content warning because this movie is genuinely upsetting and disturbing and awful because it's about an abusive relationship. So we'll be talking about those things on the show. Ha ha ha. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. and, no, but seriously, like we, we discussed like whether we should even do this show because like this is not like a silly, like get your friends together and watch a bad movie kind of bad movie. It's a movie that's actually awful and uh, irresponsible. But here's why I think we do need to do it because we have we can perform a public service here in a very small way which is that you know I sat down to watch this movie with uh, with wife of the show Lori and we both thought we were sitting down to watch a sexy movie sexy movie mm. that's and what like, I if, thought too right if you watch the trailer it makes it look like a sexy movie about a couple that's in love and just loves to fuck and you the, get to watch it all right more than that the trailer makes it look like this is a, a romance. Like, yeah. there are balloons, mm. and, and they're they're skipping along a boardwalk together, and it's going to be good, rollicking fun that turns into hot, rollicking fun. Right. So yeah. it is, this is not that movie at all. <laughs> Don't watch this movie. You know, get together with your friends and watch Disclosure or Fatal Attraction or Body of Evidence. Do not watch this movie under any circumstances. This movie should be buried. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I want to, I want to just add to that that yeah. There are so few movies where I can really say, like, don't bother. It will leave you in a worse place than before. I mean, there are a lot of, like, serious movies that we should all see, and they're going to leave us in worse places than we started. This movie will drag you down to the depths, and you'll come out looking like Mickey Rourke. (laughs) (laughs) Present day Mickey Rourke. Present day Mickey Rourke. I think that says a lot. Frankly, yeah. I don't think 1986 Mickey Rourke looked that great. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm really fascinated by just he twisted my emotions in every way, both yeah. superficially, like about how he looked. There were moments where I was like, oh, yes. And then there were moments where I was like, how did this guy get cast for this? He's not even that heartthrobby. But hold on. Hold on. Yes. We should share the plot summary. Okay. And this one fell to me. Thanks a lot, everyone. <laughs> All right, this movie takes place in New York City, where uh, Kim Basinger is an art gallery owner. And one day, she meets Wall Street guy Mickey Rourke, who buys her an expensive French shawl at a street fair. The street fair was very odd. It seemed like everything was way overpriced. Yeah, what kind of a street fair has $300 scarves? Right, that's not a real thing. It was, I think it was actually, uh, oh God, Uh, once again, here I am. For for spilled milk listeners, you're just going to love what I'm about to say. I have seen street markets like this in Paris. Oh, like antique, (laughs) antique Yeah, they're like antique markets where you've got a real mix of you know high and low items doesn't he say that 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 scarf was like french he said that okay there it was a, okay. it was a Parisian antique market that had a pop up in New York. <laughs> yeah, okay. Mo- Molly concurs. Great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then uh, they have lunch at a mafia restaurant, and Mickey Rourke eats a lot of pasta. Then afterwards, he says, "Don't say I didn't warn you," which is oh. definitely a cool thing for someone to say when you're starting to date them. And which is definitely code for run for your life. 
Oh, yeah. No, there were many moments like that. They go on various dates. Uh, they go to an amusement park where he puts her on the Ferris wheel and leaves her at the top screaming while he and his carny friend go off and hang out. Oh, my. I, I almost yes. forgot about that. Yes. <gasps> and no one was else was on that Ferris wheel. Did he yeah, buy out the and, Ferris wheel? Um, I don't know. It seemed like he was somehow like in control of this, of this shitty amusement Everything. park. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Like you could. You should definitely be arrested for just that part. Yeah. I mean, also for many other things he does in the movie, but that would be the first arrest. Yes. Okay. I I remember it now. I can't believe I could ever forget it. I was so horrified watching that scene. Yeah. Yeah. They go back to her place, and she has a lot of messages on her answering machine. <laughs> It goes on a long time. It's like six. Oh, and yes. there's a couple. That's the beginning of a couple doctor voicemails right. that never come back into we, play. Yeah, we need to talk about what our theory is on that because uh, I have a theory. Uh, Lori has a theory. I want to hear your theories also. Okay. So uh, Mickey Rourke lives in a loft with many TVs and a CD player. I think he, maybe he has like a bunch of TVs so he can like monitor the markets or something. Uh, he gives Kim Basinger a fancy watch and tells her to think of him touching her every day at noon. And the next day, presumably at noon, she masturbates at work while watching art slides in the most ludicrous way you can possibly imagine. <laughs> She's also like under the the street in this like, wasn't she in like an underground setup, but where you can see people walking above her and she yes. is masturbating? It, oh, kind of an underground lair, I would say. I want to work at this art gallery. This art gallery I, is amazing. Yeah, this art gallery is is so cool. Wait a minute. Remember in uh, Body of Evidence how there was a, a, a sex floor of the parking garage? Mm. Yes. Maybe every business or like every every building has like a sex basement. You know, I was going to speculate that maybe this was like a like a New York thing, you know, like that sex basements like go back to like <laughs> the uh, like the the Lower East Side, like the tenement era. Exactly. Exactly. But no, then I just remembered the Body of evidence took place in Portland. So maybe maybe all cities have like a sex level to their downtown that you only know about if you are well in the know. Or maybe it's only a sex basement if we make it a sex basement. Like my sex basement. Yes. So Kim Basinger goes back to Mickey Rourke's house and he blindfolds her and feeds her a bunch of things in his kitchen, including a jello mold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't like it. <laughs> I really hated that mm -hmm. scene so much. It's very bad. Um, and I think that's like a famous scene. Oh, really? I mean, it yeah. went on for a long time. It yes. went on and on and on. It was a real montage situation. I also love that the fridge was open and empty behind them the whole time, but he kept having food to give her. I know. <laughs> yeah. Logic. Uh, then uh, he leaves her there for hours and calls to ask if she was snooping. And when she says yes, he calls her a bad girl and comes home and rapes her. Mm -hmm. uh, then they do a lot of shopping. Mm -hmm. My wife asked, is this a clothing <laughs> store in space at one point? When they were <laughs> trying then, then they do a lot of shopping. <laughs> There's so much shopping. There's so much fucking shopping in this movie. There, There's 10 times as much shop. I mean, there's nothing sexy in the movie, but like there's more shopping scenes than sex scenes. There's a big flirty romantic montage, uh, like two minutes after the rape scene. Kim Basinger said she wants to know what's, what it's like to be one of the guys. So Mickey Rourke has her dress up in a suit and a fake mustache and they go to a stupid restaurant. Uh, afterwards, they get chased by some homophobic assholes and Kim Basinger stabs one of them in the ass, which was the only part of the movie I enjoyed. <laughs> yes. Which is also like a giant aphrodisiac for her because yes. then they proceed to have the longest sex scene of the movie I mean, right after she has knifed someone in the ass. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Under mm-hmm. a drain, uh, like running drain pipe. She grabs onto his face and says, God, I love you. I mean, um, I I guess that's the feeling that, that happens after you stab someone. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know either. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I've been talking about this movie a bunch with uh, with Laurie since we watched it because it was so p- disturbing and puzzling. Um, and, uh, and at one point she said, you know, like any of the things in this movie would be fine things to do if they were consensual Except for that part in the alley, no one should ever do that. Oh, yeah, diseases. Yes. Like, I yes. was like, did they get cholera after this? That's what. I yeah, that's down. like like <laughs> New York City runoff water that was just <laughs> raining all over their naked bodies, just getting in every hole. They probably did this for two weeks. <laughs> uh, then there's more shopping. They go to a department store and buy a bed, and oh, God, I want to talk about that scene that. later. Okay, all right. Yeah. And she steals uh, something too, right? At one point, she does. I remember that. He encourages her to shoplift. Yeah. yeah. Then they go to like a horse riding store, I think, <laughs> yeah. and and buy a horse whip. What 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 would you call that, Molly? Uh, <laughs> as a horse person? Well, you know, I am only familiar with the version of like a horse supply store that you would find in Edmond, Oklahoma, and that you would call a tack shop. Oh. I don't know what that thing was where they were, which was staffed by very dignified looking gentlemen and and looked like it had been in New York since the 1800s. I mean, I wonder how many shops there are selling riding gear in New York. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is like a real shop and they were really excited that they were going to be featured in like a big a big uh, budget motion picture. And then they saw the movie like, oh, no, can we undo this? Oh, God. <laughs> So they buy the horse whip. Uh, then they go back to Mickey Rourke's place, and Kim Basinger does a sexy dance involving the whip and a pair of handcuffs, after which the whip and the handcuffs are never seen again. Then <laughs> I didn't even remember I wonder, that she I used I wonder the whip. where she put them. Kim Basinger goes upstate to see a wise old artist for absolutely no reason. <laughs> Farnsworth. Um, yep. Yeah, Matthew Farnsworth, my favorite artist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry if this is like if this is gonna like spoil anyone's lesson. But then later at the at the gallery opening, um, someone says that uh, they think this is gonna be the start of the Farnsworth era, and yeah. Farnsworth is like 88 years old. Yeah. I found that very funny. Uh, they go to a hotel, and uh, Mickey Rourke blindfolds Kim Basinger, and another woman shows up, and Kim Basinger is not having this and takes off, and she runs into like a porno Hold shop. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. You failed to mention that this other woman was like a, a Spanish-speaking prostitute who just purred mm. at Kim Basinger yes. most of the time. Purred, purred her and pawed. And... Yeah. I didn't pot. get that she was a sex worker until I watched the credits and she was credited as whore. Right. What? Yeah. This is true. Oh, my God. I just echoed in my own headphones. <laughs> I shrieked so loud. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I'm sorry for everyone. And then the next day she goes to his house and breaks up with him. The end. Yeah. That, I think you hit that. And that that's, that that's nine it. and a half weeks, or as I call it, 9.5 weeks. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, at the end, it was just sort of like, I think that the, the, the synopsis is Mickey Rourke fucked around with Kim Basinger and then it was too late and she left him. Yeah. I mean, that's wow. the polite way of putting it. Do you have like a, a thesis statement at the end or kind of like a summary, like how you felt at the very end that you wrote down or no? No. Okay. No. I, I was just, I was just broken by the end. The last, th- the last <laughs> thing I wrote was just Matthew Farnsworth with a question mark. <laughs> And then we just got too tired to write anymore. Yeah, I it's, just... 
It okay. really seemed like there were a bunch of other movies like tr- that were trying to get you to notice them. Like, you know, like, you know, don't watch this shitty movie. There's something interesting happening just over here. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. maybe maybe Matthew Farnsworth was an interesting guy. Or like the roommate who started shacking up with her ex. Like, let's find right. out more of that story. There's some drama that could be there. Nothing. Right. So did anyone get any life lessons out of this movie? Life Lessons. I think one thing that I'm definitely going to be using, or or I would be using it if I were not in a monogamous relationship, is I learned from Mickey Rourke in this movie that the best way to approach a stranger who you find attractive (laughs) is to come up from behind them, really Mm. close, but really close, like you're standing right behind them. And when they glance over their shoulder in alarm that someone is like breathing on them, you give them bedroom eyes and then you buy them a scarf. Yep, it works every works time. every time, yes. Well, and also I think you should be sure and, and talk so quietly that they can't really understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you're probably saying something awful. Yeah, I thought um, that Mickey Rourke had like one face the whole movie. Um, yes. It just looked like kind of indulgently bemused. Except when she was doing the like the strip tease. Oh, that was uh, hilarious. Then, then he had he to do like like goofy reaction shots like laughing time. at it yeah. Yes. yeah he never looked oh, like aroused or actually into like the sex that was happening at least that's what i was interpreting he just looked like oh look at her we watched this ash and i watched this over two nights because it was so exhausting we <laughs> yeah. We had to turn it off after 51 minutes the first night. But one thing that I wrote in my notes uh, at the 51 minute mark, uh, by which point we had already had the the first sex scene, which is the very famous ice cube scene. Yeah, which I thought was not bad. It was pretty good. It was pretty. It looked yeah. like at that point I could I could believe that we might just be in for like a sexy romp. I know. Anyway, in that scene, Kim Basinger is blindfolded. He is basically kind of, uh, you know, teasing her with an ice cube on her various parts of her body. Then we have the food scene in front of the fridge, right? So by the time we turned off the movie, Ash turned to me and said, but have they actually had sex yet? Mm-hmm. It, it, there was so much, and I get it, like foreplay is often the, the most like fun or like scintillating part of sex. Yeah. But the sex at that point had been pretty interesting, actually, you know, on comparison to what came after, which was just like rape and violence and grinding. Yeah. That I think it's kind of interesting that at the 51 minute mark, Ash and I were still left kind of wondering if they'd actually like had penis in vagina sex or not. Yeah, like if it was part of his plan to just kind of every time just like tease her and do like various different activities, but they didn't actually do like the deed. (laughs) Activities like they built one of those popsicle stick cabins. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And and fed each other jello and spread honey all over each other. Uh Yes. They gave some macaroni to to a uh, piece of poster board. (laughs) These are some of the activities that I think I'll do with June and homeschooling this week. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And then they just did tons and tons of shopping. in Paris Wheels. But yeah. yeah, I wrote down that the actual first time that we see them have sex is the rape, I think. Yes. I think you're right. Uh, Sorry to bring it uh, down, but I wrote God. that down. Like, the first sex scene is a rape scene? I don't know how this movie ever got billed or, like, uh, rumored to be just, like, a, a, a sexy movie when that scene alone, not to mention the rest of it, was so 
disturbing. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. Like there could be and there have been, you know, good movies about abusive relationships, but the thing about those movies is they're not billed as like, you know, get together with your with your partner and have a sexy time watching this movie. Like nobody nobody has a sexy night and t- puts on The Accused. After I watched this, uh, and I was sort of like you, Matthew, trying to digest it. I've been trying to digest it now for days. Uh, it's like it's like gum. What is it? <laughs> it, it is it's, it's yeah, it's like like you swallowed gum. <laughs> yes, you have a anyway, bazaar of this the movie. Gum of erotic thrillers. Anyway, I looked up the trailer on YouTube because I wanted to watch it again. Me too. Then I made the mistake of reading the YouTube comments to the trailer. Oh God! And Why? so many people were talking about how this is like truly. They were comparing it, of course, to Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm. And they were talking about how compared to Fifty Shades of Grey, this is like a true art movie. And they were also like, I had to read down, I kid you not, like 20 comments on the YouTube page to finally find someone who said, very tentatively, is it just me or was he kind of creepy? Oh, God. Oh, and I was yeah, like, just what? a little. I was like, what is going on here? Are you guys like, like everybody else was okay into it? with this? Yes. Everyone else was like, this is a true art film. So oh, sexy. Wow. So hot. I think the word hot showed up like 60 times. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Lori did find like, like legit feminist critique of this movie from the time it came out. Oh, so fascinating. It's not like everybody had the wool pulled by this movie. Okay. It was also like, I think a box office bomb. Thank God. Yeah. But then, you know, it's one of these movies that like had a second life as a cult favorite on video. It's it's like a zombie. It rose from the dead. Yes. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would rather like... watch a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do feel like that it, I hear this, this title a lot and I had no idea really what it was. I can't find the art in it. Oh, there was no. art in the gallery. But yeah, besides yeah, that, right. besides Farnsworth, there was nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we should also mention, too, that, that this guy, Adrian Lyne, who, uh, wow, I have a lot of really uh, harsh feelings mm. about this man. Adrian Lyne was the same director who did Indecent Proposal, Flashdance, and Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. The, the one thing that I do think was artful about this movie, and I was actually first really aware of it in, in that horrible rape scene, is the the light in this movie, like the way that they use light is, is really gorgeous in this very like beautiful, like 80s yeah. film cinematography way. Yeah, I could see that. For sure. I'm, and I'm like- sad to say that that is what I found myself thinking about during the rape scene so that I could <laughs> escape what was actually going good on. yeah um i found myself like i said just trying to focus on anything but the leads of the movie because it was too upsetting so my first life lesson is if you want to save money you can order hot water with lemon and sweet and low <laughs> what oh yeah Wait. that's the boss what? at the gallery right the boss at the gallery at the beginning they're taking coffee orders and he says get me a hot water with lemon and sweet and low and someone says are you trying to slim down and he says no i'm trying to save money yeah don't let them charge you for it he says yeah yeah that was the girl was taking the coffee order and uh, i mean does this segue into this gallery because it was i don't know must be the most lucrative gallery of all time because there was like 10 full-time employees there and also the party that they have for farnsworth who's this unknown artist is the most hopping party we've ever seen yeah one of the members of the rolling stones was there 
<laughs> Wait, was it a cameo? Yes, it was a cameo oh, by Ron sorry. Wood of the Rolling Stones. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Didn't so wait, what was the other movie we watched where someone had an art gallery? Is it Body uh, of Evidence? Body oh, of Evidence? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and she she had a houseboat in Portland. Right. So yeah. I mean I I do think there is there is like a thing where like a rich person will open an art gallery like after they're already rich. So maybe that's what's going on. But also I think like directors just think like an art gallery makes a good set. Yeah, because I mean, I would get it if they included something about the art and Farnsworth in her story. What I mean, okay, they didn't include really anything in her story. (laughs) No, does anybody remember exactly what that conversation she had with Matthew Farnsworth? Like, what were the contents of that conversation? I when she went up upstate to his his ranch. And found him sitting in the garden, and they had a very, like, incoherent and... I don't remember yeah, at all he was what like they ho- said. He was holding, like, a fish, right? Yes! He was holding no! a dead fish. He was holding he was a hold- weird dead fish, and he had his phone off the hook because she had apparently been trying to call him forever. And that was a plot point that just <laughs> appeared out of nowhere. Um, because his his debut, his gallery opening is happening any day now. Where's the artist? They talked about how they needed his pieces. And then he seemed like very forgetful, like he was old and had Alzheimer's or something, like just memory uh-huh. problems. And so it was just a very bizarre interaction that I thought was going to lead to something of her connecting with him. Yeah, I don't not know. Really. I guess they had like some weird eye contact during the show. Yes. Like she's well, in the corner like, crying and he just kind of looks sadly at her and that's all. Yeah, like like they were the only ones who were having like a, a real emotional experience yeah. at the at the gallery opening. But then it went nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was one of my facts I found out, or at least on IMDB, it says that Kim Basinger <laughs> owns like fourteen hours of cut footage of this and she <gasps> just is bummed that people don't get to see it, she said. I what? Wait, wait a minute. What? So many things about that seem seem unlikely. Okay, here. This is what it says. This is IMDb, so take this, you know, with a grain uh-huh. of salt. Anyone can write anything on it. Sure. But it says Kim Basinger owns 14 hours of deleted scenes that MGM thought were very psychologically damaging to people. The footage has never been made available for public viewing. How, How is there wait, so okay, many? Wait, right. You're the film student. 14 Abby. hours. How much do you footage do you shoot for a feature film? Uh, I mean, you shoot a lot, but I wonder if it, I, I don't, I must not be just deleted, like put together right. and cut scene. It must just be like. Right. Deleted scenes implies that there was like a 16 hour <laughs> version of the movie. Speaking of which, we got this panic text from Molly oh, <laughs> after, after Molly and Ash turned the movie off the first night, Molly looked at like the, the, the time bar on the bottom of the, of the player and said, oh my God, is this movie 156 minutes long? And at that point I freaked out too. Because like I'm like I'm not watching a 156 minute movie even if it is hot and uh, then I looked at it, and it's one hour and 56 minutes but no apparently apparently there's a 16 hour version I mean, very confusing yeah it felt like 156 <laughs> minutes that's I'm good. sure I'm sure like not that people ever talk about this movie anymore other than us but I'm sure like that the movie felt nine and a half weeks long is like a standard joke I hope so I mean I hope people hated this movie as much yeah. as we did also wait a minute hold on did you guys notice that on the like the poster for the movie which has Kim Basinger in like a like a silk slip type thing looking absolutely amazing the tagline or whatever is they broke every rule yes Ugh. yes gross it's so misleading yes uh, that sounds like it's going to be like Bonnie and Clyde or something like I don't understand what this I think that's mean. what this movie wants to 
wants us to think it is. I mean, like when I read, I think it was um, like the descriptive copy on Amazon or wherever. Uh, it said something about how like this couple explores like the limits of their sexual obsessions. Yeah, that's not what happens. <laughs> no, that's not what happens. They're exploring the limits of his sexual obsessions and she's getting like dragged along under the wheels. Yeah, exactly. I wrote down once, like, is she a robot? Because she had no agency at all. Anything that he said she would do. She never right. put up any kind of, she just kind of winced a little bit and then would go along no matter what it was, whether it was eating Jello blindfolded or getting honey spread all over her or yeah. stealing. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when he's like spoon feeding her soup in bed? Uh, yeah. She looks up at him and says, like, how did you know that I would go along with this? And he says... I saw myself in you. What did oh that mean? That didn't I mean don't know. Anything. I've been puzzling over it for days. Like my my gum bezor bezor. <laughs> what? That's why I feel like this. People think this movie is arty because it doesn't say anything. It just has like a fancy turn of phrase. Right. I saw myself in you, and that I guess shows how narcissistic he is because the entire time he's just all for himself, even though it looks like he's trying to help her, but it's all twisted back onto his own obsession. Yeah, and but the, the movie like has no interest in like you know why she falls into this abusive relationship. Yeah, which, it's which really... would be an interesting question that the movie just doesn't give a shit about. Is like almost a reporting like this happened and this happened and this happened and then but right. there's well, no it, emotional tension. Well, like along the way, I, I feel like there was somebody who had their hands on the script who was like, we need to build in some backstory for this character. So they gave her all those voicemail messages. Yes. OK, let's talk about the thing with the doctor. OK, because <laughs> first, like the first time when she's got, like the six. Is really a thing twice well, though twice on the answering machine they say that you've missed your doctor's appointment and you're going to get charged if you don't go so obviously like her sexual obsession is like harming her health so my theory was that she has hallucinated the entire thing and she's like off her meds and her doctor is calling to say like please you know come in we need to see you and and she is like off in this fantasy world i prefer this to her actually having to go through this Mm -hmm. I don't agree with I don't think you're right okay. but I like it <laughs> wow way to yes and <laughs> I've been trying so hard I didn't know we could just say no <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if, if her doctor's appointment had anything to do with her heart-shaped ass. If she oh. had just gotten that done. Yes. Or she's you, suffering from an acute affliction of heart-shaped assness. You think maybe her ass was going into cardiac arrest? It might have been. <laughs> yes. He made a point to talk about her heart-shaped ass. Right. I just feel like that's the only you know physical ailment she seems to be suffering from. That's Wait. true. No, that can be very serious. Wait, hold on, guys. Hold on. So the, the scene where he talks about this, like, chick with the heart-shaped ass, it, when she's dressed up in the suit and they're, they're eating in the restaurant full of, like, Wall Street types. So in that monologue that he's giving where he's talking to her as though she were, like, a Wall Street guy. Right. And he says, I've got this unbelievable chick on the side with one mm. of those heart-shaped asses. I thought, oh, my God, finally there's going to be a twist. Like, we're going to find out for sure that he's married oh, or like I, I, I just this was another yeah. moment where I thought that the movie was going to reveal itself to be interesting yeah wow and it, it wasn't that never happened and instead, um, then they went out in the street, got called a homophobic slur, and then they reenacted the Michael Jackson smooth criminal video. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you notice that was exactly what that whole scene looked like? You're absolutely right. The street chase? Okay, we're going to link to that. Oh, good, because I haven't seen it. <laughs> speaking, speaking of things that are problematic from the 80s, yeah, I mean, like, Annie, are you okay? But, yeah. <laughs> um, I have a, a life lesson. Okay. Oh, yes, please. I felt like throughout this entire movie, they were just showing us how much women just want to be infantilized and treated like not only a child, but almost like a baby. The first thing that we see him do is buy her this scarf and put it around her shoulders for her. He brushes her hair. He puts an actual bib on her at one point. Yes. And on, yeah. And on their first date. So I've seen, you know, you, you've seen other things like people trying to be romantic as like feeding people things. But I've never seen anyone ma- oh, like, right. make someone drink something if they weren't like deathly ill. Right. And so in the mafia restaurant, he's feeding her a glass of wine right in a way that would not work in real life because he's like holding the glass out to her like tilting it toward her and like that would spill a hundred percent of the time it just was so mind-boggling to me like that was a move that worked like even that was the that was a red flag right there and then he would punish her he he called her a there was some phrase i forget it was like nosy parker or something oh That's, he did call her a nosy parker you're right I, I, never I, heard that you know i don't have a, a conventional kind of lesson for us today but i have prepared a lesson oh okay oh. Like, is it about is it about the phrase nosy parker it's about and the like phrase the etymology nosy parker <gasps> mm-hmm. okay Yeah, so guys, hold on, Abby, I don't mean to cut off your lesson, though. Oh, just that women want to be treated like babies. Punished, hairbrushed, bib, fed soup, fed soup, fed water. Okay, but (laughs) now be honest, if you could have an adult-sized high chair and, like, sit at a table that's, like, 12 feet off the ground on a high chair... It's sort of like a lifeguard chair, but but like in the dining room. That'd be pretty great, right? If like someone, if that was your second date. You know what I have often thought though, that I wish that there were like a, like a race of giants who could pick us up and cuddle us. I've thought about this so many times. What are you talking about? Like sometimes I just want somebody to pick me up and like be bigger than me. Not, Mm. I'm not talking about wanting a man to do this for me or a woman who's taller than me. I want someone who is like Hagrid. Yeah, or like the BFG. Or the BFG to pick me up and cradle me like a baby. And I want them to have the proportion to me that that I would have like to my mother when I were a baby. Yeah. Wow. But I don't well, want I don't need to nurse or anything. I just want to be snuggled sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's where you draw the line is the <laughs> yeah. nursing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well I'm really glad you clarified that. Um yeah, so I I've also thought about this. Like and like would that be scary or reassuring or both because I'm afraid of heights? <laughs> and I hadn't thought about the nursing before, but now that you mentioned it, I would like to. <laughs> oh my Wow, this took a turn. I I meant this lesson to be sarcastic, but here we go. (laughs) But Abby, I want to clarify that I still don't want to be infantilized. I just want to be snuggled. Taken care of. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's fine. Okay. Okay. I don't think they even snuggled in this. No. He drew drew the line at snuggling. No, this was just, this was just like constant violence and rape, pretty much, which I think Uh, excludes snuggling. So I hear we were going to hear something about the phrase Josie Parker. <laughs> I found this on a blog called grammarphobia.com, which confuses me a little bit because I don't I don't feel phobic about about this. Oh, I've but always anyway. been afraid of two things, heights and grammar. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, all right. So uh, this is from grammarphobia.com. So someone wrote in with a question. I'm curious about the origin of the expression nosy Parker. Could it be referring to a nosy hotel valet who looks through your glove compartment, etc., after poking, after <laughs> parking your car? <laughs> poking and parking. If the valet pokes my car, I'm sorry, like 10% tip. <laughs> Okay. All right. Anyway, okay. So the answer, uh, the phrase has been around a lot longer than valet parking. As it turns out, nobody knows how Nosy Parker originated, but here are uh, some theories. The most often heard one is that the term is a reference to Matthew Parker, who was a 16th century Archbishop of Canterbury, who was known for poking his nose into the activities of his clergy. Okay. Okay. How do you find these things? He definitely would have poked your car if you were a valet. <laughs> well, I mean, back then you would have had to like poke by my horse cart or something. <laughs> okay. But here, uh, guys, the big problem here is that Parker had been dead for several centuries before oh. the term nosy Parker appeared in print for the first time. Twist. Oh, wow. You really pulled the rug out from under us. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. So another theory is that nosy Parker evolved from nose poker, someone who pokes his nose in other people's business. <laughs> Wait, was that a real term? <laughs> but but the Oxford English Dictionary has no evidence of the term nose poker. <laughs> you don't say. Wow. Oh, so yeah. What are we learning here exactly? Uh, so the, the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, they say in an etymology note that the phrase is most likely a combination of the adjective nosy uh-huh. and the surname Parker. So it hey, seems- hey, Abby, Abby, can yeah, you come yeah. over here a minute? Like, uh, Molly, Molly, can you give us a moment over here? Yeah, Molly, what's up? Uh, Molly doesn't know anything about the term nosy Parker. Yeah, I was so excited. <laughs> She's been stringing us along. This is some sort of game she's playing with hey, us. Hey, come back. I think she's manipulating no, us for a yeah. reaction. I do think that it has to do with the 16th century Archbishop of Canterbury. All right. I'm Farnsworth? But anyway, guys, I think that you should now start. Yeah, Matthew Farnsworth. This was during the Farnsworth era. Well, I mean, it's it's quite likely that the phrase, the term artsy Farnsworth does come from that guy. <laughs> artsy Farnsworth. Shortened then to artsy fartsy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so guys, I I think we all understand Nosy Parker just fine now. It refers okay. to, to a valet who pokes your car. <laughs> okay. No, that makes sense. Amazing. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Who else has a lesson to share? I have a lesson. And that is, I learned it from the commercial uh, that she was watching when she was uh, stuck at, at uh, Mickey Rourke's house, which is that you can get an adjustable bed at flatbed prices. Oh, God. <laughs> Matthew? They yeah. played that commercial for a long time. Uh, they really did. Oh, and then... Wait. So, okay, so they're watching like a classic 80s commercial for the Craftmatic adjustable bed, or Kim Basinger is. And uh, then later they go to buy a bed, and I was like, they should be buying a Craftmatic oh, yeah. adjustable bed, but they're not. No. It's like a regular <laughs> bed, except that bed shopping scene was so confusing to me. Oh, my God. Was That's it where just he tells a- her to spread, his, spread her legs for daddy. 
Yeah, I mean that was gross, but Ugh. like it was more like the fact that they were like like trying to involve the bed salesperson in their sex games was was gross, but yeah. not surprising. Mm-hmm. The thing I didn't understand was like what was it seemed like maybe a, a department store, but it was like a corner of a department store where there was just one bed and a woman <laughs> whose sole job consists of trying to sell this one bed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then they had this right. long conversation about how it's going off display, but it's one of their best sellers. And why is it going off display? And like, like, what are we doing? This is like a fifteen-minute scene. It felt. Yes. I would love to see someone remake this movie, but using only the plot lines that kind of like were dead ends. Oh. I'd like to see somebody go deep into the doctor's office, into like yep. the backstory of the lady in the the bed store. Mm. Um, yes, I would love to know more about the ex husband. I I would love to know like about Kim Basinger's smoky eye makeup tips. Oh yes. yeah, her heroin chic was like on point. Oh god, it she looked amazing. Yeah, at one point she looked like Murphy Brown, and at another point she looked like Meg Ryan, both in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned it, Molly, can I jump in with one other thing that I wanted to know more about that could yes. have made a better movie? Please. At the very beginning of the movie, there's like a, it's like a crowd scene, like a crowd of people going down a, a street in New York, and there's like a guy chasing a mugger. Oh yeah, remember or like a pickpocket running. maybe, yeah. And then someone else is chasing both of them because I think like the the guy chasing was like not not catching up with the pickpocket and like another guy was getting involved then they cut away from this this was nothing yeah this was just like a a wide shot to show her walking an an average day in new york right i'm like that seemed like it could have been like the beginning of a good movie and no but did you also notice during that like opening scene where she's moving through the city that every single manual laborer or criminal we saw was a, a black person yes and asian people were just speaking in really rapid, loud tones and selling food that everybody thought was gross. Yep. This movie just started out with a bang and did not let up. Yeah. (laughs) It just let you know from the get-go with foreshadowing how you were going to be disturbed the entire time. Yes. Yes. Don't don't say we didn't warn you or whatever that was that uh, Mickey Rourke said on their first date. Do you think a lot of people, I mean, they must have sold a lot of Craftmatic adjustable beds, not because of this movie, <laughs> because, because of the commercials. Like, I, I remember seeing those commercials all the time as a kid and thinking, like, when I'm an adult, I'm getting one of those. <laughs> Wait, did you, you guys... ever get your dream? No. Because <laughs> so I don't, I think it's probably terrible and breaks. Guys, but... so you know the, the Fretwells, who I've talked about on Spilled Milk of many course. times. The Fretwells had a Craftmatic adjustable <gasps> bed. Did you ever yes. get to adjust it? Oh, God, all the time. Oh, my God. All the time. Tell us everything. So I think it might have been actually two twin beds pushed up against each other because the different, the the, each half adjusted separately. (gasps) Isn't that part of it, though? No, maybe that's later on in technology. I think you're thinking of the sleep number bed, Abby. I don't know the names, guys. (laughs) Anyway, it was amazing. I remember the remote control, and this was early in the days of remote controls, and you could, you know, you could bring the head up, you could bring the foot up you could bend behind the knees it was deluxe but i remember i could never get comfortable in the thing right that's what i'm wondering i was i was like a four foot tall you know (laughs) adolescent but i i secretly think probably almost no one could get comfortable in the thing it seems kind of like hospital betty yeah yeah it is very hospital betty i don't know i think i prefer a water mattress if i'm really gonna go crazy do you have one abby 
No, but my aunt had one when I was growing up, and I thought it was the coolest thing. Oh, yes. We would jump on it all the time, and I'm sure we popped it. But I, I remember thinking even then, like as, I don't know, seven, eight-year-old, like, I couldn't sleep on this. This is nonsense, but it's fun to play oh, on. Oh, yeah. When you say, I'm sure we popped it, like... I think you would know. I just don't <laughs> have a distinct memory of it. I'm okay. sure we like played on that like like it was a trampoline, you know. Right. Like, I think. I mean, time. I guess. I guess probably was... they have like built-in safety features or something. But I feel like if I popped a waterbed, that would be one of the the most salient memories of my entire I life. A really exciting life, Matthew. I can't remember. <laughs> okay, fine. Wait, Abby. Wait, I yeah. have another question. So, was your aunt <laughs> married, or did yes. she share this bed with anyone else? <gasps> yeah, she was married. Her and her husband had this bed. Because this is what's baffling to me, the thought of sharing a waterbed yeah. with Yeah, them. right? Like every time they roll over, like, slur, 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 It right? would be like sleeping on an underinflated air mattress. Like, Oh, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> your movements would so impact your bedfellow. I'm so, so glad we're not talking about this movie for like the last four minutes. Like, <laughs> oh, you, oh, no, wait, I'm serious. I have like, the, the feeling of calm has washed over me. Uh, we can go back to the movie. It's fine. I just, just like, I really needed that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, when I started to talk about the, the portrayal of people of color, Matthew, you just got so silent. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, God, I've really done it it's now. It's true. I'm not. Not, there was just no comedy to be had. For right, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's a terrible movie, and it was and it was a terrible time, and <laughs> we haven't learned much since then. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait, who has another lesson? Because I don't. I mean, I just have kind of like observation that no matter how much you try or how much you're paid, you really just can't fart the Jaws theme. True. Yes, it is so true. A bunch of street urchins approach <laughs> Mickey Rourke and nice Kim Basinger street urchin and. D- Yes. I, I love that phrase now. So I've never seen and modern they were, street for sure. Yeah. They try to like scam Mickey Rourke out of $5 a dollar by saying that they can fart the Jaws theme. And at first I was like, this is such a random scene, but I really do think it's foreshadowing that he is like a predator to her. And I wonder if the farting of the music would have alerted her <laughs> to the dangers of Mickey Rourke. Yes! I did not think think about that at all, and you're absolutely right. (laughs) I also think that, wow, with where you've taken this is so far beyond... I went to film school, so... Adrian Lyne was capable of doing with this, Abby. I would love to have seen this movie in your hands. Oh, man. I don't even know. Yeah, Abby, how would you fix this movie? (laughs) Well... I would start by not casting Ricky Rourke uh-huh. and move on up from there. Yeah. Yeah. But Good this call. is actually, I think, the first young Mickey Rourke I've seen. This is, I think it may be the first Mickey Rourke I've seen, period. Is it? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, I've never seen, you... like, The Wrestler or What's Another Thing he was in. Iron Man 2. Did you no. guys Did you guys do what Ash and I did and go down a, a rabbit hole of Googling Mickey Rourke? Yeah, for sure. Did you hear, did you read all about his, like, affection for his little dogs? Oh, God. No. There are a lot of pictures, a lot of paparazzi photos of him getting out of cars <laughs> holding a little dog. Okay, I mean, that's that's kind of endearing, right? But he's kind of like a, I don't know, like a big, burly, like, funky face because of, I think, boxing? Is yeah, he yes. got really into boxing, I think. He got really yes. into boxing and really messed up his face. You know what it, it sounds like? He sounds like that giant you guys kind of want to cuddle you. Like, he's pretending no. to be that for that dog. If that's the giant we're getting, I'm <laughs> off the giant train. Sorry. I don't think he's giant enough. Molly, how big, how tall, like, in feet are you thinking, <laughs> giant-wise? <laughs> Sorry, guys, I was just looking through 
pictures of Mickey Rourke online <laughs> while we were recording. <laughs> to determine whether he's giant enough to well, be to be our giant. Okay, so I think the giant probably, I think at least 12 feet. Yeah. I think maybe even bigger than that. I think so too. I mean, I'm thinking like the ratio of like I was th- yeah, I was adult, thinking the same thing because like to, a baby is like yeah, like 20 inches long, right? And how many inches long am I? Um, yes. like 70 long. Wow. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> like 70 inches long. <laughs> so that's like three and a half weeks. All right. I just hit the wall. I'm losing it here. Yeah, I think I think the giant needs to to like pick us, tuck us in, (laughs) like read us a story. Um, Not this story. I can't yell this giant bit. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Are we going to review whether we thought this was erotic and a thriller or what is our? Oh yeah, I think we have to. Uh, So it was not a thriller. Again, was there any like the only action was the one chase scene in the rain? But there was there was some tension at one point for me, at least because they ordered they did decide to buy the non adjustable (laughs) bed. And the woman was like, I promise it'll be delivered by Thursday. And I was I was I thought they were going to like really like build some some dramatic tension around like was the bed going to arrive by Thursday or not. But then they never mentioned it again. They they count down um, disclosure style. Exactly. Oh, I think it would have improved the movie a lot if they had like had title cards showing what week we were in, so I would know how much of the movie was left. But did we find the the sexy scenes erotic, guys? Uh, like, I agree with Molly. Like the the Ice Cube one was pretty good, and all of the other ones were either just upsettingly non-consensual or gross. You know, the one... Okay, so I have to say, I was not... Does my voice sound weird to you guys? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, I was not thinking, like, during the... the <laughs> during the scene where they're having sex after she stabbed somebody. Right. I was not preoccupied during that with thinking about like uh, you know gutter runoff, etc. Oh, that was um, all I could think about. Me too. Yeah, no, I was definitely noticing. I was definitely noticing that that it was a. I think it was a stereotypically like supposed to be hot sex scene. Like you could see through her like white tank top. You could sure. see her nipples and stuff. That was fun. But what I found puzzling about this movie, it, it, above and beyond the obvious horribleness of it is that um, there was actually very little in it that was truly sexy. Like, yeah. There mm-hmm. was very, there were very little, like, hints of skin or, um, or like, someone doing something that is genuinely... Hot. Appealing or hot. Like, there was, for one thing, there was almost no skin. Not to say that you have yeah. to have skin to have it be sexy. But it was just baffling what the sex was in this movie. Lori and I were talking about that, and and she said, um, like, what's a movie we could watch that would be, like, a good sexy movie that's, like, genuinely sexy, but, like, also a good movie? Quote, ask Molly if there are any French movies like that. (laughs) Oh. You're right. It seems like there must be. I mean, well, okay. So hold on. I think that if you want to see a really great antidote to this movie, you should see Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Okay. I've heard it's great. I haven't seen it. Uh, We will watch it. It's great. It's two women. It's fully consensual. And it's hot. We've watched a bunch of these movies now, and it seems like they're... 
over and over again, like the directors of these movies don't seem like they like sex very much. Like, cause it's always about like someone punishing someone or teaching them a lesson. I, I mean, maybe it's just like to up the ante, like to get butts in seats. Like, how can we make this titillating? And so yeah. it can't just be like, oh, they're in love and they're having a great time having sex. Right, like, of that's course. not enough. But the choices they they to up the ante in these sex scenes were feeding each other weird things and honey, and then the striptease, which could have been sexy but he was just like laughing hysterically the whole time and the music was weird was so there terrible, was no- yes there was also terrible music like like totally like uh what's the word incongruous music during the the feeding scene was it goofy it was very goofy there was a, a, another instance of the siren song during the ice cube sex scene yes guys. oh i didn't notice that there I'm was like, a- i can't not notice it now wait oh, i love that you noticed that so during the scene where he's feeding her a bunch of stuff one yeah. of the things he's feeding her is a, like a full-size red jello mold. Ugh, when did they make did, that jello? When did he make this? And like, was he like, you know, getting all excited, like making this jello mold? <laughs> it was her house, many... though. No. Oh, no, I think it was his no. house. I think it was his. Oh, okay. Because at one point she gets home and tells her roommate, there's a man on the premises. And I thought that was the sex scene right after that. Oh. You might be right. I remember this too. Can you imagine if you had a housemate and and they spend an hour sitting on the floor of your kitchen cavorting with their new boyfriend with that music playing and made that kind of mess? I would be so pissed off. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you ruined everything else in the fridge except you the fridge was empty. You wasted all my honey. That was good raw oh. honey that I bought at the farmer's market. God. Yep. That jello mold I made for my mother. For my mom. <laughs> for she's teething. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um thanks thanks for for never watching this movie. So you know, I would really love any listeners who have watched this. I don't want to invite anyone to watch it, but please anyone don't. who has already suffered through watching this movie, could you please stop by our Facebook page? <laughs> that is... Stop by our house. We have a jello mold for you. Yeah. Only if you're a giant. Slash Dire Desires podcast. <laughs> please come over and hold me. Yeah. No. no. Please, would you tell us <laughs> something to make us feel better? <laughs> I don't know Visit Dire Desires on the web at diredesirespodcast.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash diredesirespodcast. You can donate to our show at diredesirespodcast.com slash donate. Dire Desires is produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Music for the show is by Audio Nautics. Until next time, live erotically.